It's the first Prez Monday check-in. We'll have a chat, but not spill tea. Hey, it's the first Prez Monday check-in. We got the Bible and Greg and me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the Monday check-in. I'm Pastor Damon, one of the pastors of First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Pastor Greg, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska. Glad to be with you here. We took a little uh, break, a little hiatus last week because it was Labor Day. And so there was, we weren't here working on Monday, so there was no Monday check-in. Suppose we no. could have done it on Tuesday. I wasn't here on Tuesday. That's right. That's probably why we didn't do it, because you weren't here. Neither of us were here Monday, and you weren't here Tuesday. So by Wednesday, it would have been very passe for us to attempt a Monday check-in. Yeah, it wouldn't have been very fashionable. And we would have gotten in trouble with various religious authorities, I'm sure. As all of our loyal listeners know, Damon and I are very concerned about high fashion and fashionability as mm-hmm. well as the religiosity of uh, the, our listeners um, or, or of the religiosity police. Do they have police? Well, if they do, I don't care. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But if they, I mean, I really don't care. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that there are folks who, you know, concern themselves um, about things that I don't concern myself about. And, that you know, probably for good reason, you know, a fair amount of time, I would say. Somebody needs to know what the standard is. That, that I will agree. That I will agree to. Yeah, and I'm using an interesting term that is not, in most people's everyday vocabulary, which is religiosity, which is distinct from religious. Um, but it's this notion of, of sort of creating rules and laws and norms and strictures that we follow uh, as, as religious beliefs that it tends to, that becomes the religion instead of the thing being the thing, then those norms, norms and rules and laws tend to become the thing. Um, and so rather than worshiping God and following Christ, we are holding these uh, religious norms at a higher level, which may have at one point formed out of a worship of God or a following of Christ, but also ought to be questioned. Specifically, the Pharisees and scribes engage in a lot of religiosity, which Jesus challenges in his life and ministry, because the Pharisees and scribes say, well, you shouldn't work on Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, uh, I understand that law, uh, that religious law, and also this person needs my compassion or this person needs my healing or this person needs to eat because they are hungry. And so the Pharisees and scribes are, are embracing religiosity, whereas we would say Jesus would be the one embracing the way, uh, Christianity, right? So anyways. Yeah, I do think that There needs to be a rule book, right? And someone does need to know what the rules are. But we can't, uh, when you confuse the rules for the game, uh, then the game becomes a lot less fun, generally. 
and then you start playing the rules and not the game and then it's that's not nearly as much fun um and uh, yeah the pharisees uh that show up in the stories in the bible are depicted in a uh uh, religiosity loving sort of a way though we should know that they were motivated by like a desire to help people live out the holiness of the faith and to live that out through their daily living right so uh so this is why we you know this this hand washing rituals and um or ways of sort of living out your holiness and kind of through your through your daily living so um yeah it's interesting we just um the presbyterian women the bible study this year is on is on sabbath it's called celebrating sabbath and i i helped prepare them for that and last week's well the lesson that i led with them last week was about um that actually that specific Sabbath controversy uh, where the, they're going through the fields and the disciples pluck grains. This is not the study of the scripture that we're studying on Sunday, but the disciples are plucking grains because they're hungry. Um, and the Pharisees say that's their harvesting. That's doing work on Sabbath. How are you respecting the Sabbath? If your disciples are doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, that's a good, you know, he doesn't deny that they're, <laughs> that they're doing work on the Sabbath. Um, he knows that they're breaking the Sabbath and it says, you know, the priests do some work on the Sabbath, it seems to me. Um, and what's the other one? David did some, did something on Sabbath that he wasn't supposed to do. So, and if you had one sheep, if you only had one sheep and it fell in a hole on a Sabbath, wouldn't you get it out of that hole on the Sabbath? Well, yeah, we probably would. Yeah. I preached I about what, that. I don't know what difference it makes. Like if you had two sheep and one fell in, you like, you wouldn't worry about helping that one. I don't know, but whatever. Well, and given the, uh, the parable that we just read on Sunday um, from, I think it was the, the gospel of Mark. Uh, about the the lost sheep uh, Jesus says if you lose one sheep you leave your 99 behind and go seek out that one and so I, I would argue it doesn't matter whether it's one sheep or a hundred sheep you would still pull the lamb out of the hole on the right. Sabbath right, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's just an odd little detail that I noticed in the story who cares if it's one sheep or <laughs> but and maybe that's why it's there is to to make you think, well, okay, like it was one. Who cares? You got one sheep or a thousand. Just get it out of the hole. It needs help. Um, yeah. I had some other thought that that was connected to, but now I've now I've forgotten what it is. Oh, I like from the the stuff on Sunday where um, there's the person they go and find the sheep. <laughs> like, who among you, if you had ninety nine sheep and a hundred sheep and one got lost or whatever it is wouldn't go and spend all day trying to find that sheep. And then when you did it, you'd invite all your neighbors over and say, hey, look, everybody, I found my sheep. Isn't, isn't that great? <laughs> or if you had 10 coins and you lost one, you'd turn your house upside down to find your coin. And then when you did, you'd invite your neighbors over 
and say, hey, look, everybody, I found my coin. <laughs> it's that great. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody actually doing that part of it. Yeah, the the part in that parable that trips me up, though, is you've got 100 sheep, one strays, and then there's a detail in that says you leave the other 99 in the wilderness mm-hmm. to go track down the one. Well, now, in theory, the other 99 are lost or not lost, but they're at risk of being devoured or stolen or whatever to go track down that one. And I, I just find that, and I think obviously Jesus is, is it's a parable, right? He's trying to prove a point that, yeah. that God cares for each of us as his beloved children, no matter what. Uh, but it's it, there. There are some quirky details in those parables, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I mean, I think that is. You you leave the other sheep in the wilderness. I think that it's. I think in some ways that sort of heightens the um, ridiculous nature of of the grace of God. Yes. You know, like this sort of. Um, that sort of thing. So, yeah, these are the sorts of things that we maybe would have talked about last week. See, so this episode is like, it's like, it's like a twofer. It's a, <laughs> right? it's a doubler. Yeah. <laughs> we lost an episode. Uh, we spent all week turning over our couches to try to find it. And we found it. And now, we're and now here we are it. celebrating. <laughs> yeah. We've invited each other to our weekly podcast to celebrate the fact that the the lost episode has been found. Hey, look, we found our lost episode. I just can't imagine being invited (laughs) over to someone's house. Oh, I'm so glad you guys could make it. I I lost, I thought I lost $10 this week, but I found it. And so I invited you over. That's cause for celebration. Well, that's, that's great. I guess I don't. (laughs) Okay. Good for you. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, so the Monday check-in <laughs> is uh, we chat about the scripture that we're going to use um, generally for the upcoming Sunday, but sometimes take a little nostalgic look back at, at what was. And uh, so we do a little little talk about the scripture and a little Bible study. What questions do we have for it? What questions do we maybe think that it has for us and our lives? And then we switch gears and we talk a little bit about the life of First Pres Hastings, what's going on there. So, and we start with a word of prayer. I think maybe it's my turn to do the opening prayer, whether it is or not, I'm going to claim it. So loving and gracious God, thank you for the opportunity to gather together in this way. Thank you for these ancient and holy words that continue to inspire us, continue to confuse us, continue to nurture and challenge us. In your gracious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. For this Sunday, uh, we are continuing in the, the book of Paul's letter to Timothy, one of, I assume, one of Paul's, well, we know it's at least one of Paul's, we know there's at least two letters to Timothy written by Paul. Uh, this is First Timothy, and then we have a little bit from the Gospel of Mark. So, uh, the reading from First Timothy chapter two, verses one through eight, uh, reads something like this: 
First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the, excuse me, of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Uh, and that's how that little little passage concludes. And then from Mark chapter 11, uh, and we're doing 22 through 26. Is that correct? Uh, 20 through 25, 26. We'll talk about that. Yeah. I am starting at 20 though. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, in the morning they passed by and saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered, has withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you will, what you will, what you say will come to pass. It will be done for you. So I tell you. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. And that is through verse 25. Folks following along at home, uh, if they've opened up their Bible, there's a good chance that verse 26 does not exist within its pages. Uh, it exists in some translations and not in others. We'll probably talk a little bit about that. Uh, verse 26, as it appears in the King James Version, reads this way. Uh, Jesus was talking about um, forgiving people in prayer in verse 25, and then 26 reads this way. But if you do not forgive, Neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That's how that goes. Greg, what do you got? Uh, just uh, this is the Bible that I use in summer. It's the Harper Collins Study Bible. And I ran into this 25, 26 thing. I just want to show folks that. Let's see. I see it looks highlighted. I see some highlighting. Yeah, I 25 really is highlighted. And if you see it, jump straight from 25 to 27. Mm -hmm. So in this Harper Collins Study Bible, there was no verse 26, but in the King James Version of the Bible, there is a verse 26. It's kind of like those musicians that have their famous hidden tracks on CDs back when we had CDs or, or have uh, extra verses to a song that aren't on the recordings, but they play at a concert. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, I just, that's what made me think of that. <laughs> Yeah, I. it is and it isn't, because the reason that it's not there 
is because that that verse verse 26 is uh is not included it does not appear in the earliest manuscripts of these texts that we have right and so that that so the thought is that this was probably a later addition to the text um and yeah and so that's and so some in some versions include it and some omit it because they are kind of trying to go by the earliest text right that we have yeah so then when the king james version was translated they had original greek texts that they thought were the original text and that's when they translated the king james version and since that time uh archaeologists and biblical scholars have found older texts which would be more original more true to what was originally written by the writer of the gospel of mark which omitted that verse and so um if you get uh a newer bible and a more scholarly bible you'll find that verse 26 is omitted because it did not appear in these original texts um i, I did some research about this this morning because i was quite curious but um the great majority of Greek manuscripts include this verse, but all the oldest manuscripts, such as the Codex, Codex Sinaiticus, the Codex Vaticanus, and the Codex Alexandrinus, do not include this verse. And so some Bibles will have Mark 11.26 in brackets, uh, because probably a scribe added this verse in order to make Mark 11 agree with Matthew 18.35. But this one particular scholar said, such attempts by scribes to improve the text, of course, never actually improves it, according to this scholar. I, I'm not sure. The reason for this verse numbering dates back to the 1600s when they were using the only Greek manuscripts they had available. Since then, more have become available. And so it's very, this is a typical example to find what they call errors that are found in the Greek manuscripts when they find a more original Greek manuscript. And in this case, it's quite easy for scholars to determine the original manuscript. And because the verse is in Matthew in a different way anyway, there's no real reason to change uh, or include the scribe's edition. It makes more sense to exclude the verse. Anyways, it's... Yeah, yeah and that, well, like this is not the only time that we see this sort of thing, specifically in the Gospel of Mark. Right. Um, how many endings does Mark have? It depends on who you asked and when you asked them. Um, so there's a short ending to Mark and a longer ending to Mark. And the short ending is probably the original ending. And it lives, it ends on a, on a cliffhanger is how, is how the original ending. And um, over time, people didn't really like that so much. Right. And so, the, so uh, like a chapter got, added on to the gospel of Mark that essentially kind of wraps up the story. Well, right. we think we tend to feel that it wraps up the story. It, it takes away the ambiguity of the story. Let's say it that way, whether it wraps it up or not. I, I don't know, but. Um, right. And the, the gospels, while the, in the order they're in, in, in the Bible is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, biblical scholars will tell us Mark was actually the very first one written and it tends to be more of a bare bones approach, uh, kind of adjust the facts without a lot of explanation. But scribes went back in and inserted explanation in it. 
Um, yeah. And then also inserted a final chapter in it, which is disputed as to whether or not that actually belongs with the original Markian text. But yeah. um, this is quirky, nerdy Bible stuff that Damon and I uh, enjoy reading about and talking about. Uh, yeah. hope you're enjoying listening to this conversation. But I think that I, I think it also potentially raises an interesting question of truth. And, and what do we mean when we say true? Um, that this, another place this, this comes up in the Gospels is in the Gospel of Luke. Um, when Jesus is crucified, there's, um, Jesus is on the cross and he says, uh, starts with Father. Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. Right. In that, most likely in that version, the edition of the Bible that you have, that's in parent parentheses. Because that is also, that's not found in the earliest man's manuscripts. And so there they've decided to put it parenthetically um, to kind of indicate that. Um, and it's sort of like, well, if Jesus didn't say it, then he meant to, or he should have. Um and that it's still, but folks still find that it contains a tremendous amount of truth in it. Um, and, and so whether something is in the earliest manuscript or not in the earliest manuscript, we can still talk about what truth it may or may not contain, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah. you and I on when, you know, when we preach or when we offer a prayer or when we lead a communion liturgy or whatever the case, like none of those things are in the earliest manuscripts either. Um, none of the hymns that we sing are in the earliest manuscripts. And yet we hope we believe that they contain some sort of truth um, in them as, as well. So, so I do, I think it does raise maybe an interesting question about truth yeah and what we what we mean by truth and it, it, it leads to a fruitful conversation there are some religious denominations that insist on only reading from the king james version of the bible um and our our church the Presbyterian church usa and and also the church heritage that damon comes from the united church of christ um we we don't insist that the king james is the only version of the bible and we, um, we tend to lean into the biblical scholarship that has occurred since the translation of the King James Version, uh, which, has which draws on older manuscripts and different manuscripts and leads to different uh, versions, as well as uh, translating into English from different time periods, right? The King James Version being an English that uh, does not sound as familiar to our ear today. And so some of these more modern versions will translate, remembering, too, that Jesus wasn't speaking in English. Jesus likely wasn't even speaking in Greek. Jesus right. was actually likely speaking in Aramaic. Uh, and yet what we have are Greek versions. So there's already been a translation from Aramaic to Greek. And then we translate from Greek into English. Um, and for the King James, it was Old English, and it was with the manuscripts they had available to them at that time. Mm -hmm. Then more manuscripts become available, and so that allows biblical scholars to um, add to the understanding 
But at its core, Damon, I like how you frame this as sort of, this is all a search for truth, right? This is all a search for, and so um, I appreciate that our faith tradition is, is open to the expansion of that. Uh, and when a new manuscript is found, we're curious about it. And we approach it with curiosity. We don't just shut it down and say, nope, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. We Bible say, yeah. well, the Bible, <laughs> the King James said it this way. And the NRSV says it this way. And this new manuscript that's just been discovered by archaeologists in, right, in a dig mm -hmm. says this. And so let's be curious. Uh, let's try to understand what's, what's attempted to be communicated here. And what it means for us in, in our faith. And so I think these are important conversations and uh, fruitful conversations. And I'm grateful that we have a chance to have them. Yeah. Yeah. Was the King James translated from the Greek or was it translated from the Latin or from the. That's a good question. Because so we had Greek and then, uh, then there was the, the Latin, the Vulgate. Was that. Latin Correct. Vulgate, mm -hmm. yeah, and then kind of that Latin got translated into German, I think. Uh, according to the Wikipedia, the New Testament was translated from Greek, and the Old Testament from Hebrew and Aramaic. Okay. So, um, but a lot of the many translations of the Old Testament. It was translated from Hebrew to Greek first. Sure. And a lot of translations of the Old Testament are based on the Greek translations instead of on the original Hebrew translations. And it took Hebrew scholars to go back and say, well, there was a mistranslation here from the Hebrew right. to Greek. And so we need to go back to the original Hebrew text and not base it, our translation off of the Greek text. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This word is young maiden is what this word is. Um, but I don't think that any of this well, maybe some of this is what you're going to be preaching on on Sunday, Greg. Uh, I actually I think you're no, be um, focused more on this Timothy stuff. My my intention was to focus on the Timothy passage. The Mark passage informs what I want to say about the Timothy passage, but the the hidden verse twenty six is not part of what I wanted to say about the the Timothy passage per se. So, um, yeah, so we can talk about that. Although I've actually very much enjoyed this conversation too. <laughs> um i uh so we're we've mentioned this the last couple of weeks uh both philemon which damon preached from two weeks ago and then first timothy which i preached from last week and will preach from again this week are our personal letters instead of letters written to a whole community, but they're personal letters that eventually found their way into the canon. They're, they're part of our Bible. And so personal correspondence between Paul and Timothy is now part of our biblical witness and our understanding of uh, right the, the word of God uh, yeah. in, in this form. And so uh, it's interesting. And um, in this letter, 1 Timothy, Paul has sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus because they've, um, they're having conflicts, and Timothy's sent as Paul's ambassador to help resolve those conflicts. So uh, Paul kind of gives Timothy a pep talk in, in chapter one, which we studied last week, uh, where he says, hey, if, if I'm this bad of a guy who was a flanderer and uh, a persecutor and a man of violence and a sinner, and yet God still uses me and uses me as an example to demonstrate God's grace. So it's sort of a pep talk 
Timothy, you've got this. And then the second chapter of Timothy here begins what Paul is instructing Timothy to teach to the church in Ephesus to help them resolve their conflict. And I, um, it's verses one and two that really caught my eye. So Paul writes, uh, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. For kings and for all who are in high positions so that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all goodness and dignity. And I really zeroed in on this idea of prayer um, and all kinds of prayers, supplication prayers, intercession prayers, thanksgiving prayers, be made for everyone, including kings, but including everyone. Um, and this, this is kind of a radical thing for Paul to say, because Paul and Timothy aren't being treated particularly well by those in power at this particular time. And so Paul is urging prayer uh, for even, well, for everyone, including people who um, are able, are holding or wielding power over them in ways that aren't great. And, uh, and so, and of course, to me, this harkens back to, to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he tells us to, to pray for our enemies or pray for those who persecute us. Um, and so I, I've just been doing a lot of reflecting on this instruction from Paul to Timothy of praying for everyone and, and reflecting myself on who, who do I not want to pray for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes one of the questions that it raises in my mind, like, do you pray for someone um, even if you know that they don't want it? Um, and if so, what do you, what do you pray? It's interesting, you know, in verse two, that Paul connects this pray for Kings and all who are in high positions so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. The, the implication there uh, seems to me to uh, pray that they might leave us alone. Um, right. <laughs> that's kind of what it's. <laughs> seems uh, to me to be, but yeah, this uh, um, yeah to to pray for everyone, and and yeah. like everyone means everyone, and, and and again, Paul is deeply informed by Jesus' life and ministry and works and his words, and so that's why I I think back to the words that Jesus has said about prayer and the challenging words, like yeah. pray for pray for your enemies. Mm -hmm. um, pray for yeah. those who persecute you. Ugh. Really? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, which then I always think about, okay, like, let's be a little bit careful about what we're qualifying as persecution and, and what we're not. Um, but I think just this idea of someone who someone has wronged me, or I feel wronged in some way, because this is also connected to forgiveness. Um, right? And um, I think it's easier to, to pray for some sort of reconciliation between myself and another member of the faith, right? That, uh, either I've wronged them or they've wronged me, but I know that we 
have kind of the same core values and ideas, right? Like we go to the same house church, which I assume this was like a house church in Ephesus, right? Um, and so then that gives me some sort of basis for to pray, you know, to pray that I might have the wisdom to see the error of my ways <laughs> and the courage to ask for forgiveness or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, if so, if I feel that I've been wronged by someone outside of the faith, then like, what does that prayer look like? Feel like, I don't, I don't know. Is that question making sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, or I mean, take it a step further too. I've been wronged by somebody who claims the faith, but by their life and witness, I'm pretty sure they're not. <laughs> living the faith right sure. yeah um, mm-hmm. and so how do how do i pray then um and yeah it's it's not easy because and the mark passage talks about this call to forgive right and um that whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you've received it and you will but whenever you stand praying forgive if if you have anything against anyone so that your father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. And, and um, these are hard instructions to actually live out and follow. Yeah, if you really think about it, right? If you kind of gloss over it, you're like, oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> that's a really nice, oh, what a lovely sentiment that is. <laughs> Pray for everyone. Ah, oh, that's that's lovely. I like the way that that feels. Um, uh, until maybe I really start to think about it um, and, and pray for everyone, includes those who have hurt me in some way, shape, or form, or those with whom I disagree vehemently, politically, economically, uh, whatever the case might be. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an all-inclusive <laughs> sort of urging from Paul. Yeah. And just, just. particularly in the polarized climate that we live in, I think this cuts right to the heart of uh, what we need to be thinking about and doing as, as followers of Christ who are going to attempt to faithfully live out these words in our daily lives. Um, I think the polarization would lead us away from embracing this call to pray for everyone. And uh, whenever we are praying to forgive, if we have anything against anyone, uh, it's yeah. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting. um, Yeah. To see, to hear where this goes. Um, one other stray thought about the Apostle Paul from this past Sunday is I was, and why I sometimes struggle with Paul is that even when he is being self-critical, he finds a way to be like braggadocious about it. I was the best blasphemer. I was the best adulterer. I, no one's ever blasphemed like I blasphemed Uh, and yet here I am (laughs) doing this now 
and so I, even yeah. in moments of humility, I find Paul to be kind of also. I was, you know, I was a pretty good persecutor of the church. I just, you know, I was just going to put that out there for everybody. What does he say? Um, and God forgives sinners among whom I was foremost. And he repeats that twice in the passage. He was the <laughs> foremost sinner. Yep. <laughs> he's, he's, everything is extremes um, with Paul. As we see kind of in this passage as well, I pray for everyone. Like that's an extreme. Um, yeah. We pray for everyone. But I don't know. You think it'll preach? I think something in there will preach. Yeah, I think so. For sure. So, so we switch, switch gears. Yeah. What's going on in the life of our church? Well, we are back in full swing of things with programs and worship and everything else. Um, it's been a really fun week at the church. We restarted our Wednesday night programming last Wednesday. Had a great group of kids here on Wednesday night. We're doing that uh, from 5 to 6.45 for children who are preschool through fifth grade. And then we have our uh, choir practices uh, for adult choir from uh, 6.45 to 7.30 and adult handbells from 7.30 to 8. Uh, that's all happening. And we hope you can join us for some of that. If you've got kids or if you want to sing in a choir or play in a handbell choir. Um, and then our, our fall worship schedule as well. We're back to doing our 8.30 a.m. Uh, contemplative to Zay style worship in the chapel. And then uh, our Sunday school hours at 9.15 for all ages, including adults. And we'll have Damon tell you about what's going on with that. And then our traditional worship service in the sanctuary at 10.30. And we've got our lineup of uh, choirs back helping to lead our 10.30 worship. So it's it's a pretty exciting place to be this fall. Um, and there's a just a generally positive spirit in the air. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of Sunday morning and then Sunday evening, uh, we have the youth junior high, senior high activities, uh, choir and then bells and then choir, then meal and, and fellowship time with one another. Um, that starts at five and wraps up around seven, uh, Sunday mornings. You mentioned Greg, the Current adult ed is there's a forum series currently going on in the Lydia room. It's being led by Reverend Doodle Harris, who is currently serving as the chaplain uh, at Hastings College and director of service learning at Hastings College as well, uh, leading a series that we've called The Holy Humor of Ted Lasso. So if you are at all familiar with that, and even if you are, if you're familiar with it, then you then I don't need to explain any more to you. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with it, that's fine. Uh, you can still come and engage in conversation because uh, the conversations are about things that you know about. They're about uh, community and forgiveness <laughs> um, and all these sorts of things. And um, and uh, everything gets explained. It's, it's fine. So, uh, so that's happening. The first one was this past Sunday, and then there's two more. Uh, there's uh, there's one coming up on the 18th, and then the last in the series on the 25th of September. Yeah. Uh, we've also, back in the swing of things with uh, some of our mission programs, uh, the United Harvest Mobile Food Pantry Distribution will be this Saturday. We've finished our parking lot project over at the Peace Center, so we'll be back here. 
Uh, we always need volunteers for that. Uh, and so we hope you can join us on Saturday. Uh, nine o'clock is about when we need volunteers to start showing up to get ready for that. And we would love some help if you can be here. Um, also on Saturday, we're going to be celebrating um, the life of a beloved member of the church, Anne Fairbanks Bulky. She passed away this last weekend and we're having her memorial service on Saturday. And I believe that will be at 3 p.m. Uh, I'm meeting with the family this afternoon, but uh, looks like we're moving towards that. So come help us serve hungry people on Saturday morning and come celebrate the life of a saint of the church on Saturday afternoon. If you're around, we'd love to have you here. Certainly. Um, I think that's it. Would you like to close us with prayer, Greg? Well, I have one more announcement because I will, this will happen I think there's four. I think there's uh, one more announcement. Uh, would you like to share what it is, Craig? Um, yeah, the we mentioned that Reverend Doodle Harris is uh, teaching our adult forum, the new, new chaplain at Hastings College. And next Sunday at 4 p.m., she will be installed as the chaplain in the chapel at Hastings College. Uh, we Presbyterians uh, like a little bit of pomp and circumstance when new pastors are called to places. You may remember my installation service and um, so anyways, we're looking forward to doing that and hope you might be able to join us to celebrate her ministry at Hastings College, as well as the, um, the renewal of the chaplain's office at Hastings College. It has dwindled a bit since Damon's departure to come join us here at First Pres, and so we're excited to support a new minister in town back there doing that. So That should be good and lovely. All right, should we close with a prayer? Let's do it. All right. Well, we just talked about prayer, so let's let's do that. God, you invite us to pray for everyone. And as part of our prayers, you remind us that we have to forgive anyone that we're holding something against. These are two very difficult requests to fulfill, God. It's hard to pray for people who have wronged us or people we don't like. And it's hard to pray for people we don't know. But God, we trust that you are there in the midst of it. And even when our words may fail us, we know that our prayers will be heard by you and that you are a God who faithfully responds to those prayers. And so in this week ahead, we invite you, God, to challenge us. Challenge us to pray for someone we might not otherwise pray for. And challenge us to extend forgiveness to somebody who we may not want to. Help us to study your word this week and to enact the call that it places on our lives. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. With all those things said and done then, until next time, toodaloo.